When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Tommy, today we've got quite the show because we've got a little bit of something for both people who love internal combustion engines and people who love electric vehicles. Uh, so I'm super excited by this show because it's really both ends of the spectrum. So you got to do something I've really wanted to do. What did you do? Well, I got to go experience the new Ford Bronco Raptor in Johnson Valley. So we did some off-roading, we talked to some engineers, and we really got the lowdown on what the Bronco Raptor is all about. Yeah, and I got to talk to uh, the head of a company here in Colorado called Solid Power, and they are in the forefront of engineering and developing solid state batteries for both Ford and BMW in the next wave of electrification. So we're gonna have a little bit of both on to talk about. Uh, so let's uh, bring up the music, start the show. Welcome to TFL Talk, the official podcast of TFL Studios, where we talk about the best, and yes, even sometimes the worst new cars. We talk about the coolest and sometimes the least uncool old cars and of course we give you an insider's view of all things automotive and hopefully we do it having fun and sometimes arguing so if you're driving keep driving and if you're not why not all right tommy so you got to experience the new uh, bronco raptor i'm not gonna go with raptor even though it's real tour but is it real tour anyway no uh, one has ever said a real tour i used to have a managing broker license and the National Association of Real Tours really harps on the fact that it's <laughs> tour, but everybody in the world calls it tur, real tour. So are we going to go with Raptor? Yeah, let's go with the Raptor. Okay. All right. All right. So you got to go and drive this bad boy. Tell me some of the stats. Well, it is a full 10 inches wider than a standard Bronco. And uh, it's got an 8.6 inch wider track for that ultimate desert running experience. They have gone to the nth degree to develop this uh, Raptor Bronco. And it's not just bigger tires, 37 inch tall tires, it's not just the wider flares, but underneath it's been heavily, heavily, heavily beefed up to take the stresses of high speed running. Wait, you're telling me it's different than the one we have sitting like 10 feet from us in our garage? Well, we have the Sasquatch first edition. We do, yes. And believe it or not, it's actually really different. So they had a cutaway of the body removed, and then you could see the frame. And the frame itself is stronger. It's got different shock towers. It's got more bracing on the control arm mounts. It's got um, I think it was forged uppers and cast lower control arms in the front that might be switched. But it was a really impressive thing to look at with the body off because there's a huge amount of engineering. It even has a stronger rear axle than our Broncos. So we have like a Dana 44 in the back. This is something called a Dana 50. And the wall on the Dana 50 is nearly twice as thick as the Dana 44. So this thing really has a lot of engineering beyond just a standard Bronco. So obviously its direct animal competitor, if there is such a thing, uh, would be the 392. 
Yeah. Uh, which is Jeep's Wrangler with a Hemi V8. That's right. And you did a video, which I thought was fascinating. And by the way, if you're interested in the video, just go to alltfl.com. It's up there where you ask an important question. Why does the Bronco not have a V8? Why is it still a twin turbo V6? Yeah, and um, I did talk to some people after I shot the video as well, just to get a couple of different perspectives. But the most kind of juicy one I got, which I thought was interesting, is the, uh, the, the Bronco is built on the same line as the Ranger and as the, uh, the, the other Broncos in the lineup, right? So the Raptor is not in a specific facility. It goes down the line just like everything else. And apparently that plant is not equipped to handle V8 engines. So if you think about it, like the Ranger has four-cylinder turbo, Bronco four-cylinder turbo, and twin-turbo V6, but I was told that it was not able to um, accommodate V8s. Other interesting thing, the engine bay on the Bronco Raptor specifically is also very narrow. It's a very narrow kind of engine. Um, so, so that was that was the eye opening, and uh, this has a, a bigger engine than our Bronco. So this is a three-liter twin turbo. Our Bronco has a 2.7, and the the most common comparison is between this vehicle and the uh, like the Explorer ST, because the Explorer ST also has a three-liter. However, this engine is basically the same actually as R2.7. It's a little bigger, right, in terms of displacement, but very similar in its architecture. And apparently it might even have smaller turbos than the 2.7 twin turbo, which is interesting. So it's got different turbos than our vehicle, but a much more high flow engine. So they've completely redesigned the front end. They've added these venting, uh, totally different exhaust system. So you can get a lot of air in and a lot of air out. So we've been doing this a long time now. Well, we usually know when uh, there is no V8 option, it has to do with CAFE standards, right? The manufacturer doesn't like the fact that V8s provide really poor fuel economy and it dings their CAFE standards. So let me ask you this, Tommy. Do you think that the reason it doesn't have a V8 is because Ford actually can't put one in, in the line? Or do you think it's one of these situations where the Ford PR team was sitting around, you know, and they needed to come up with a good reason where the real reason is, well, we don't want bad fuel economy, so we gave it a V6, so let's come up with a plausible explanation, and that explanation also happens to be true, that it can't have a V8, because let's face it, if Ford wanted stuff a V8, and they want to completely and directly compete against the Jeep 392, they could do it, right? So which one is it? I'm, I'm being the skeptical or maybe cynical journalist here thinking that maybe it's more to do with fuel economy and cafe standards than it has to do with production. I think I disagree. Okay, fair. Because um, if you look at the fuel economy numbers on this, yeah. it's already terrible. Okay. It's really, 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 really bad. Fair enough. Really bad fuel economy. And I think if they wanted to save on cafe, the most obvious way to do that would be to take the V8 out of one of their best-selling vehicles already or reduce that, right? The, the F1 50, right? Huge volume. And you can get, of course, that with the V8. The Bronco Raptor, in comparison, it's going to be a teeny, eeny, weeny, tiny amount of volume. Um, and I think that it was more of a cost thing. I think to retrofit the production of the Bronco Raptor in a different facility or to figure out a way to put the V8 in in the plant would have been too expensive. So, so I'm going to come back at you, okay, uh, with some facts that I know. So you say teeny, eeny, weeny, bitty. But we know, for instance, that the Raptor, and this is Ford has not announced this, so this is not official, but having like gotten emails from guys who work at the factory, we know that the Raptor accounts for at least one out of 10 F-150s made, right? Which is a big number. Uh, so it's a half a million F-150s, so one out of 10 would be 50,000. So if if we take that logic and, you know, they're selling hundreds of thousands of Broncos, and let's say it's a si significant number of uh, Bronco Raptors, then it's not going to be teeny, eeny, weeny. It's going to be a pretty substantial, you know, size that does start cutting into cafe numbers. 
Um, I um, don't buy my argument. No, I'm yes. not buying it. Okay. I really don't buy Fair it. Enough. Well, because an interesting thing is, so they they told me an interesting background story with the Bronco Raptor. Right. They wanted to put 37s. They went to the facility where the Broncos made. They talked to the guys and they said, no, can't do that. Why not? Because it wouldn't fit. It would be way too tall to actually go down the line if it had 37s. Okay. So what they had to do was come up with this really innovative sliding perch on the rear shock. I thought they put the like tires and wheels on at the end. Nope. So they have this sliding perch on the rear shock right. where the rear axle sits higher in a top position as the Bronco goes down the line. And then once it exits the line, it goes to a separate area where someone then unbolts the lower shock position, lowers down the axle, and rebolts it back together, and off it goes. So in theory, if you wanted to, you could Carolina squat your Bronco from the factory by going back to that build position. Um, but yeah, I mean... All right, so, so let me ask you the obvious follow-up question. There, right. right. So it comes out of the factory in 37s. Mm-hmm. You know someone's going to want to put like 39s on it. Yep. Will it accommodate 39s? Um, I, yeah, I, maybe I should have asked that. Yeah. They don't typically like to talk about modifications because... I know, because um, they don't... This is not a vehicle, I think that's... So 39s, right, in my mind, is kind of correlated more with rock crawling. And, you know, th- there is certainly rock modes and stuff in this Bronco. But uh, on a desert running, I'm not sure, like, a 39 is going to give you a whole lot more than the 37. One other thing which was interesting, this has a higher tow capacity than any other Bronco. So typical Bronco 3500, this one up to 4500. And I asked why. I thought, because the answer is always cooling. It's like or nine, tires. Nine times out of ten. But on the Bronco Raptor, it's neither. They actually have an additional brace on the hitch for the Raptor. So when you see the cutaway of the frame on ours, the, the hitch just kind of mounts to the rear end. This has a, a cross or a, a triangulated member that extends into the vehicle so that you can get additional strength out of the hitch. So I thought that was interesting. Now I'm looking at the picture of it. If you guys want to see it, go to Tommy's review once again on alltfl.com. I'm looking at those little like shark gills. Huh? We don't have those. Those are badass. I wish we had those. Yeah, so it's got a lot of venting. The majority of the venting on the front we should, end. We should say, we, people don't see it, where those are. So they're on the front fender above the front wheels are like these little shark gills. Yep, so the majority of the venting at the front end actually comes out the hood. It's yep. got this big bulge with these um, vents in the hood. The little shark fins on the side, uh, those are also active venting. So they do, uh, they said actually passive venting, but they are functional. And the Bronco Raptor has uh, SMC, which is a m- composite material for fenders front and rear. If you look into that more, it's more like plastic. So it's got plastic front and rear fenders and a hood, I believe, as well. So what are uh, any other things that separated from the, let's say, the one that we have, the Sasquatch? Anything else besides? Yeah. So more power, bigger uh, tires. We're going from 35s to 37s. Uh, bigger rear axle. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, different uh, mounting points for the struts, right, you said? Well, it's got, it's, yeah, it's got much more uh, beefed up um, areas where, like, the uh, the lower trailing arms mount, for example. Okay. Um, it does have a lot of differences. So, for example, the brakes. Brakes uh, are straight off of the F-150 Raptor. Uh, we talked about that axle earlier. But the big news, and this is what the engineers always get so excited about, when you go to the Raptor program, what's the one thing they can't wait to tell you about? Uh, what's the one thing the engineers can't wait to tell you about? Yep, it's what they all get excited about right off the bat. Uh, it's not horsepower. Nope. It's not um, suspension travel. There you go. It's all about the suspension. So 13 inches of front suspension travel in the front, 14 in the rear, and this has the latest generation of Fox technology shocks, 3.1s with live valve technology, uh, so it can um, actually change the damping on the fly. It's got the jump mode where it'll stiffen them up so when you land, you don't bottom it out. It actually has two sets of bump stops. So it's got bump stops and jouts bumper. So if you do bottom it out of the way, you're not going to feel the, the shock quite as badly. And it's not going to put 
all that stress into the vehicle. So lots of suspension work, and they really spend a lot of time dialing that in. It also, they're not gonna want me to tell you this, but I'm gonna tell you anyway. <laughs> okay. There's a way- Don't listen. That, <laughs> cover your ears if you're listening now. There's a way to disable the ABS. All right, don't tell them. Don't, don't, One of the few vehicles where you can do that. Don't tell them. If yeah. you're interested in how to do that, email us. I want to see how many people listen to this watch podcast. Watch my video. It's also my video. Or watch his video or email us. I want to see how many people are listening to this, and that's a good now, the, assist. How, the, how about the sound, Tommy? The 392 sounds like God laughing. How does this sound? This sounds like a 370Z. Oh, that's it's interesting. Got, it's got kind of a VQ not, style. Not a 400. No, I, no. Well, I haven't heard the 400, but okay. it sounds a lot like the 370. It does have a true dual exhaust. So it's not like two and a one, it's duels all the way back yep. with cutouts in the rear. And the muffler is actually underneath instead of, in the middle instead of the back for better. And how about like departure. accessories? Can you get a winch? Can you, can you remove the front little bumper stubs? Yep. So it's all got, that goodness. Oh, it also has rigid fog lights. You know how Toyota has like the- Yes, rigid fog lights. But yes. it also has rigid off-road lights in the front. And those can come off too for additional clearance. Um, it's On the inside, you can get it with uh, either vinyl or leather seating or, or special materials. And uh, really aggressive seats that felt so so good. They really give you a nice hug when you sit in them. So the seats are excellent. Um, and, and then the big thing I also, kind of curious, makes you wonder about the standard Bronco. This has a very different um, sports bar, the, the bar around the vehicle, than our current Bronco. So this actually has a pillar between the front doors. It's called the B-bar. So up above your roof, there's a pillar between the front and the rear doors. And then at the back, it has a carbon fiber pillar as well. Um, or I should say brace, that goes between the rear hoops. So, so you know, the, the thing about the Jeep, Wrangler, sports bar, and we don't know about the Bronco, is people think they're roll bars, but they're not really roll bars. So they're not designed to be like a roll cage in a, a race car where it protects the occupants. It's more of a sports bar. That's why I call it sports bar. Yep. So what you're suggesting is that it may be more functional than... than, than um, Decorative. Well, so the the interesting thing is those two additional bracings on the Bronco Raptor increase the torsional rigidity by like 50% side yeah, to side. Yeah, engineers always say that, but I never know what that really means. <laughs> um, and then last thing we need to talk about. Is price. Pricing. So it starts at 70000 Yeah. Um, the vast majority of the ones we drove were upwards of eighty. But, I mean, you can't talk about Bronco pricing, especially Raptor Bronco pricing, without talking about markups. What do you think dealers are going to mark these puppies up to? Twice that? Yeah, I think you could be right. I Easily. think you could be right. And uh, are, are, are they sold out as everything else? I think they're all sold out, yeah. yeah. And then deliveries start this summer, very so, uh, shortly, actually. Okay. Um, and I, can't, I can't wait to you know put it up against uh, 392. There's two things I don't like. Okay. I don't like the $1,800 carbon fiber package on the inside. Okay. It's just not worth $1,700, $1,800. Right. Um, and I'm not sure I'd pay $400 to get orange seat belts. Okay. <laughs> not super sure it's worth it. And the Especially with the green one. That seems a little wanky. <laughs> yeah, what is that? Eruption green? Yeah. And the audio system is not very good. All right. They still, still don't like the audio system very much in the Bronco. Well, these are minor... Uh, little things, right? They're not that uh, big of a deal. Can you remove those side steps? They look like they yeah, might. Yeah, it's cool. It's actually a rock rail integrated into the side step. But I heard you can't remove, like in ours, uh, there are little clips, right, to remove the uh, fender flares. And yeah. this thing has massive fender flares. Yeah, too are, big. They're way too big. I don't these, like them. Are these, yeah, that, that would be the one thing I would say. It almost looks like clown shoes. Yeah. Right. You look at a guy with like a beautiful, let's say, off-road um, get up, right? And then you look at his feet and he's got clown shoes on. That. That's what reminds me. It looks like an afterthought. Like we had to put these really big wheels on and, you know, you have to have coverage so the wheels legally can't extend out beyond the fenders. I know there are trucks out there where people do, you know, custom offsets where they stick out like <laughs> 12 inches. But for the manufacturer, the fender has to cover the wheels. And that's because when like rain and dirt and stuff come flying off of it, you don't want to create um, a 
a rainstorm behind it yep. so other drivers can see. Uh, so I think it, it feels like they, uh, you know, it was it was an easier solution than actually changing the body panels. Yep. Is um, that right or is that no, wrong? No, it's not super right, though, because the body panels are changed. So so the fenders themselves... So why didn't they incorporate it like a wider, like in a Raptor, right? you got that classic Coke bottle shape. Yeah. This doesn't have a Coke I wonder, bottle shape. Well, it's a slab side. It sort of does, but yeah, I, I wonder why they didn't do more. Well, it doesn't. No. We're going we're gonna to argue here. There's no, it, there's no Coke bottle shape. If you were to remove those fender flares... Right, the back of the truck would not stick out any more than the front. That's the Coke bottle shape. I'm talking about removing the, the plastic fender flares. The amount of width would be identical over the front axle as it is over the rear axle. I want to say you do get more bulge though, visually out of the uh, out of the fender itself. But yeah, it, they're too wide. I, I agree. The fender flares are just too much. They need to do more in the. Fender. You see what I'm saying? I mean, if you wanted, they're like they're like groupy WRC cars that have that really cool like super wide fender. You know what would fix this? If they painted it the same color as the body, it would really help with the uh, visual look the, of, the it. look of it. Yeah. Uh, so the reason that they don't use the half turns on the fender flares is because they said this is designed for different applications. This is a high speed running truck, right? It's going to be taking a lot of abuse, and they don't want them to come off. So that is the thought there. As, as far as I interpreted their answer, that's kind of what I got from that. So uh, yeah. Hitting dealers very shortly. Be sure to stay tuned for June 20th. We've got a full off-road video. I took this thing on like an eight or a nine out of 10 um, off-road rock crawl course. And then I also took it on a high-speed course um, where they actually run a, a race out. Uh, well, we were on the King of the Hammers course. So you can check all that out on TFL Off-Road very shortly. So it's weird because like, if this were five years ago, I would say $70,000 is obscene uh, for you know a dedicated if, off-roader. But today, I think it's actually a little bit of a bargain. If it's you just could really get weird. that for seventy or even seventy-five grand, yeah, I know, hell of a lot of vehicle for seventy-five grand. Well, it would cost. The problem is, and here's this is true today as it was five years ago. If we take the equation of inflation out of it, right, to build that. If you wanted to build that yourself, it would be 150,000. Oh, for right? sure. If you, you for know, sure. sometimes people ask us, and this is a great uh, little question uh, that maybe you guys might uh, consider when buying your next Rubicon or not. Uh, people ask us, should I get the Rubicon? Is it worth it? Right? Do I need to in the Jeep spend more money? And the problem, of course, is that we just lost the video. I'll keep talking while you fix that. Uh, it wants, of course, it wants to install new software. That's how it is with computers. The problem is, if you were to try to get uh, lockers on a non-Rubicon Jeep, let's say you go uh, like ARB air lockers, right? Yep. The cost of that would be so much more than just getting the Rubicon with lockers that you're better off spending the money from the manufacturer than you are retrofitting. So if you want to build all that out, right, if you want to go and, and put the bigger wheels and tires and lockable uh, front and rear diffs and build your own version of this, it would cost you 150 k I completely agree. This also, by the way, has front and rear lockers and the stay bar disconnect and the turn assist like other Broncos. Now, let's kind of transition here because you talked to someone pretty cool. Yeah, I talked to um, a local company uh, because let's face it, Tommy, uh, the holy grail of electric vehicles are solid state batteries. You know, yeah. Toyota's been touting them for like 10 years now. Mm -hmm. So I talked to this uh, man, his name, CEO, his name is Doug Campbell. Yep. He's, he heads up a company here in Colorado called uh, Solid Power. Yeah. Uh, and they're one of the companies that are pushing new solid state batteries. So the current ones uh, are um, lithium ions, uh, which for instance, anyway, I, I don't want to go into it. He knows more about it than I do, so why am I trying to give away the whole interview? Uh, what the important thing is that they're working with both BMW and Ford uh, to hopefully develop new solid-state batteries. And in the interview, we talked about things like advantages of solid-state 
power versus the current system. You know, timing, when, when can we expect to see these? Uh, you know, are they as energy intensive to produce? Um, so if you're into electric vehicles and you want to know the latest and greatest in electric car tech, uh, then just sit back and relax. Keep driving if you're driving and listen to this interview. Um, that uh, hopefully foreshadows what's coming with electrification. Well, Doug, um, thank you for coming in. I appreciate the time. It's always great to have a Colorado company uh, featured on our podcast. Um, yeah. So first of all, uh, tell me about Solid Power. What do you guys do? Yeah. So uh, as the name implies, what we're working on is what's called solid state batteries. And so the very simplistic definition of a solid state battery is you're replacing that uh, conventional liquid or gel electrolyte that you see in today's lithium ion batteries. And you're replacing that with a solid electrolyte uh, material. And that in and of itself isn't all that exciting. But the reason why there's so much uh, industry attention and interest in solid state batteries is what going to a solid state form enables. And basically, you know, there's, there's really three overarching benefits. One, improvement in cell level energy, all things being equal, that would be directly proportional to range. And of course, we all hear about, you know, automakers trying to push the envelope on, on range. Um, we're all aware of the safety concerns related to, to lithium ion. Really, that safety bad actor is that liquid or gel electrolyte that essentially serves as the ignition source under abuse condition that leads to thermal runaway. Since we've completely eliminated that ignition source, uh, we believe solid state batteries will be inherently safer. And then finally, uh, so it, it, so it's well known that lithium ion batteries don't like to be hot. Um, and it is a, is a consequence of the, them degrading at temperature is why automakers go to such great lengths to integrate pack cooling uh, schemes. We've determined we believe there's no need for pack cooling and that would be uh, translated into major, major cost savings. So between that combined with enhancements and safety, uh, we believe would lead to uh, dramatically lower costs at the pack level. I remember I was watching like a Nova about batteries, right? And they mm -hmm. said that you could take like any two elements in the periodic chart and put them together and create a battery. Is that true? Oh, geez. And some, some, well, are more, some, some, some work better than others, obviously. So first of all, that's that's a question more for the academic right. side. I'm the CEO, not okay. the CEO. Yeah. So you do the business part. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah. I know enough to be dangerous. Okay. All right. All right. Well, let, let, let's talk about the three points that you brought up, yep. all right? Yep. Um, so first and foremost, I think that solid-state batteries have been kind of the holy grail of the industry for a long time. I remember, um, you know, Toyota has been kind of late to the game in terms of electrification, and the, the rumor out there was that they were working on a solid-state battery. Mm -hmm. Uh, now, you guys have partnered with both Ford and BMW, is that right? Correct. So what are the challenges to building a solid-state battery as opposed to the current technology? You know, where are the milestones that you have to hit to make it viable uh, in the marketplace? Yeah, so for us, it's all about uh, production scale. And so, you know, we had an announcement earlier this week about um, having, you know, now an oper operating what we call EV cell line. Um, and so it's really getting, um, getting to increasingly larger and larger scale. What was so exciting about this week's announcement is, to the best of our knowledge, that is one of the industry's largest uh, cell production lines solely dedicated to, to solid state. So we're pretty excited that we're, we're really at the forefront of, of developing solid state. We've got a lot of work in front of us. Um, uh, but uh, we're, we're pretty excited about what we're doing, and again, that, right here in Colorado. Is that here in Colorado? Yeah, yeah. Right here in Colorado. Right. So, um, obviously, when you talk about batteries, you talk about kilowatt hours. Mm -hmm. um, pound for pound, is a solid-state battery lighter uh, than a lithium-ion battery? So, if you've got, let's, let's take a 100-kilowatt-hour battery. What would, how would it differ from a, a lithium-ion battery? Well, basically, what that um, that hundred kilowatt hour battery in our solid state form would probably be on the order of, you know, let's say twenty five to forty percent, both lighter and smaller. 
Oh, that's huge. Yeah. So it's yeah, it's a big deal. Oh, it's tiny. <laughs> I wouldn't say tiny. And and, and by the way, that that leads into to an interesting thing, which is okay. What does that mean at the vehicle level? Well, first of all, we're not a vehicle company. That's the domain of the Fords and the BMWs. The way we look at it is we're delivering them sort of more tools in their toolbox, and they can choose to either do exactly what I just said, which is same capacity, uh, but you know smaller and 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 lighter, or Keep keep the the volume and mass constant, but then take advantage of the of the extension and range. Now the little I know about batteries uh, is that you know you have a certain number of cycles that you can get out of a lithium ion battery. Correct. Um, but that number is much greater in a solid state battery. Is that true? So basically, not, yeah, not necessarily. No, okay. not necessarily. What I mean by cycles, just for people out there, is you charge and discharge. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So it, you know, it's it's the same type of electrochemical device. Uh, you know, we we would anticipate seeing sort of that same cycle life degradation, but where it becomes potentially more powerful is again on that uh, high resistance to high temperature because it's actually it's not as well known by the layman out there, but actually uh, charging and discharging that represents only half the failure of a battery. Okay. The other half is what's called calendar life. So in other words, if you take a battery and you charge it up and you put it on a shelf and you check that battery a year from now, two years from now, you will see. A gradual loss in the uh, capacity of that battery and that's permanent so that's called irreversible capacity loss and that's just because and that, that can of course be accelerated when you expose it to high temperatures such as you see under high rates of charge and discharge what we have seen is that solid-state batteries seem to be much more resistant to that exposure to temperatures so that could potentially lead to an even greater uh, life in comparison so, to lithium-ion. So, so what elements do you use in a solid-state battery? It's very similar. Yeah. Um, so we're still lithium-based system. Okay. So we're still having lithium-ion right. shuttle between the cathode and anode and, and vice versa. Um, where our materials are a bit different is, is as you would expect, um, in, the, in the materials that go into our solid electrolyte. We work in what's called a sulfide-based uh, solid electrolyte. Generally, there are three classes of solid electrolytes. There are the sulfides, oxides, and polymers. Polymers have been the only ones that have been commercially. You know, a lot to be dangerous. <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're the only ones that have been commercialized to date. Um, however, they're pretty much limited to things like rideshare vehicles and maybe um, you know buses and stuff like that. Um, sulfides are really where the, you know the crowd is. You mentioned Toyota before; they've been involved in sulfide-based solid-state batteries for a number of years. So, to your question around what what sort of new um, in our supply chain, it is those lithium-containing precursor materials that we use to to synthesize our solid electrolyte. But at the end of the day, it's still lithium. And of course, there are issues with lithium, right? I mm -hmm. mean, yep. supply issues, yeah. uh, getting the stuff out of the ground isn't great. Right. Then right. what do you do right. with it? Uh, so let's talk about, you know, solid state battery recycling. I mean, right now, there is very little recycling of auto batteries. There's potential, but yep. there's very little done. Does, does that change when you have a solid state battery or is that the same issue? Not necessarily. Yeah. Not necessarily. I mean, one of, our, one of our partners and investors is currently one of the world's largest recyclers of lithium ion batteries. And we've had uh, fairly extensive dialogue with them around recycling and they've obviously they would have to test it but they've concluded based on what they're seeing that it should be no less recyclable I'm actually I think we'll start to see a lot more recycling of EV batteries let's not forget that we do have a fairly limited population of end-of-life batteries 
Um, but now as EVs, you know, see broader and broader adoption, that's going to change in the coming years. How about a second life? You know, you can, you so can use it like huge, a power wall exactly. or, or something like fan. that. Let, what, is, what is end of life in the automotive space? It's 80% yeah. capacity retention. Yeah. That's not dead. You still have four-fifths of the, of the capacity, so why not use it in areas where maybe mass and volume aren't as big of a deal as they are in an electric vehicle, and you hit the nail on the head, stationary storage. So, I mean, BMW has a, has a track record of doing this. They actually have an experimental stationary storage um, unit at their R&D facility in Mountain View, um, and they did that from end of life. I think it was the, the, the electric mini experiment they ran in, yeah, the, in sure. the 2000s. Yeah. They took all those packs and then did some experiments around around the grid. So I, I'm a huge fan of, of end-of-life, then recycling. Or, I'm sorry, secondary life, then recycling. Now, let's let's talk about the form factor of your battery. Uh, mm-hmm. It's changing, right? Initially, Tesla started out with these little round batteries, right? That something yeah. look like D-sized batteries, yeah, 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 except, yeah. right? Yep, and yep. now they're going into these kind of, uh, they're like little packets. Uh, what what does your battery look like? Yeah, yeah. Well, if your viewers can see the image, yeah. it basically... That's it right there, yeah. Yeah, it basically it's a, it looks, is it's, it's what we call a stacked pouch type architecture. So it looks like it looks like how big is that? Um, well, that particular cell is going to be maybe like seven by ten centimeters. Um, but really, the the cells that will soon be produced on our EV line think uh, maybe not exactly like a thirteen inch MacBook Pro, but kind of roughly in that ballpark for uh, for dimensions. And that's what a lot of the automakers use. You are correct. Tesla is one of the few that does use these cylindricals. They actually did it for a very good reason, which was we need to work with commercially available cells now. Yeah. Um, and that's what was available. And so they chose to double down on that particular cell format. Most automakers actually go more to these pouch type cells. And why? Well, I'll take you back to our kindergarten days. Uh, blocks stack better than circles. <laughs> yeah, sure. Makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Now, uh, obviously, one of the things you have to do with, and, and Nissan Leaf proved this because they didn't do it, is you have to temperature manage the batteries, right? Ba- batteries are like humans. They like being, at, you know. The Goldilocks. They yeah. like to be just right. right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so so uh, you spend a lot of energy basically maintaining either, you know, the thermal capacity of the yep. battery. Yep. Uh, do, do, do your batteries also have to have a cooling, an HVAC system specifically, you know, to maintain that Goldilocks? Yeah. Well, not necessarily cooling. They will require uh, heating. heating. Okay. You know, of course, especially in, you know, wintertime conditions yeah. here in Colorado can get, get quite quite cold. Um, and batteries, not only do they not like to be hot, they also don't like to be, to be cold. Um, and so we'll be no different on the cold side, you know, to get, get uh, you know, good uh, rates of current out of the battery in the dead of winter, you'll, you'll more than likely have to, have to heat the pack. On the cooling side, though, we think there's a decent probability you'll have no need whatsoever to cool it. In fact, right now, we're limited by that pouch material. Um, that pouch material degrades at about 80 degrees Celsius. Hmm. And so that's kind of our sort of our upper upper limit threshold right now. So we believe pretty strongly that we'll be able to, to eliminate the need for pack cooling. All right. Now let's talk about the other part of um, battery life, and that is charging, right? Yep. So uh, batteries are rated in kilowatt hours, but when you charge them, it's just kilowatts. Yep. Uh, and right now you said you have the Porsche Taycan, which is one of the <laughs> fastest charging cars out there. I think it goes up to about, if I remember right, 250, maybe 270 kilowatt hour, kilowatts. Kilowatts. <laughs> yeah. Yep, yep, yep. How, how, you know, what's the charging curve on your batteries? Is it this typical 20 to 80% or does that change as well when you're talking solid No, state? I mean, because that's, it, 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 the, the typical 20 to 80%, that's just more kind of longevity usage. Yeah. I mean, that's what's needed for any consumer if they want to do quick charge. So we'll have to enable that, you know, same sort of 20 to 80% 
are charging from 20 to 80 percent. Because um, when you when you push more current, you create more heat, right? So you do, and yeah. actually, it is good actually for viewers to to recognize this, and I say this to everyone. Um, quick charging is actually an abuse condition. Um, I would not recommend, even though a take can can take pretty high levels of, of charge rate, only do it if you have to. Hmm. <laughs> when, you, when you're at home, plug it into your 220 and just charge it up overnight. If you do that, you know, maybe you know, once a month you're quick charging, you'll get much, much greater life out of your battery than if you're quick charging that guy every day. So that's, but, and, and that's just one of those things that's just, I think, helpful for folks to understand. So basically level two. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is, is what you want. Now, again, you're road tripping, by all means. Then I DC. Mean, by all means, yeah. go to the quick charge. Um, but it, again, it's just something that, that's important to understand. So, so what I was asking is, does, does, your, does the solid state battery have a, a higher charge rate or quicker charge rate, or is there any advantage in, in terms of charging? Uh, potentially long-term, yeah. and you hit the nail on the head because they are high te- much more high-temperature stable. Um, and so you could allow the cell to heat up to you know, 60, 70 degrees Celsius without really any, any concern. Um, that's more looking very, very long term. In the near term, our objective is to be at least on par with, um, with the, the quick charge capability that industry standard can, can, can deliver. Um, because it's also important to realize in batteries that you know, sort of power, which is essentially the same as, as charge rate, and energy are inversely proportional. So you want an energy cell, you pay for it in power. And conversely, if you want a power cell, you pay for it in energy. And solid state's kind of similar. It really is more of an energy cell. Now, one of the things you initially said was, obviously, the, the problem with the current state of technology is if you puncture that battery, you can get... Not good. Not good. You can get kind of this <laughs> runaway thermal event, exactly. right? It creates exactly. its own oxygen. Yeah. You can't douse it with water. You can't, you yep. know. So does this have, does the solid state battery... Uh, alleviate that issue to some extent. It appears to be much yeah. more Stable. robust to, uh, tolerant to those abuse type types of conditions. So penetration, crush, that sort of thing. And it sort of makes sense. In a thermal runaway, what happens is, you, you know, you get your cathode, anode. If you crush it, you puncture it, you basically cause them to physically contact. That's a short circuit. wants to dump all of its current. That causes a lot of heating locally. And then it's the liquid or gel electrolyte that it ignites. That's that ignition source. In our case, same thing. A lot of heat, but there's no ignition source. Hmm. And so instead of a thermal runaway, you on your hands, you simply have a dead brick. Okay, so you, you poof it. <laughs> Remember when, yeah. My son had uh, uh, lithium uh, polymer, right, right when we were doing RC cars, and okay. they would just poof. They would yeah. Just go, yeah, they just poof out, and that was it. Yeah. You break the battery. Uh, all right, so they're safer. How about in terms of cost? Yep. So cost, um, the way we look at it is we have a pretty similar bill of materials. When we get to scale, we're going to have a very similar cost profile um, for the cell, the bill of materials, et cetera. The cost savings, we believe, comes at the pack. And the way it gets there is really by driving down the design complexity of the pack because of two things. One, it's much safer. So again, I, I am, a, as you just stated, I'm a driver of an electric vehicle. I am perfectly confident. I have no concerns around the safety. Very confident in what the automakers have done to, to render those batteries safe. However, what they've done to do that is incorporate a lot of engineering safety features. That is analogous to cost. So if you can introduce a much safer chemistry, you essentially render a lot of those features obsolete, potentially rendering the pack cooling obsolete. So we believe very strongly the cost savings will come at the pack level. We estimate between sort of 15 to 30% cost savings at the pack level in comparison to any cell containing a liquid or gel electrolyte. Oh, that's significant. I mean, one of the issues yeah. we're facing right now, at least in the electric automotive world, is that there are no inexpensive 
EVs. I, I think the cheapest one I is agree. a little mini. There's a little mini. We have it actually. We own yeah, a yeah, mini yeah. SE. No, I, and that was thirty six thousand dollars. And when you figure in the you know federal rebate, you're at thirty k. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I I agree. I mean, I I basically say there are two overarching pain points right now for electric vehicles. One is basically range. Everyone wants more and more range, you know, to address that range anxiety. And then cost. You hit the nail on the head. Right now, there's. I think it's fair to say they're considered premium vehicles. We've got to we've got to change that, and the way to do it is at the at the battery because that's the number one cost driver for an electric vehicle. Do you guys have any government incentives, or does the government incentivize companies like yours to to, to, to move the technology forward, or is this traditional just you know good idea and we got to make it work? <laughs> <laughs> well, to be honest, we owe our existence to funding from the federal government. Okay. Actually, I figured you know when we pulled the technology out of the. University of Colorado, one of the first things I did is recognize, A, a lot of potential, B, extremely immature. Um, I wasn't going to go pitch to VCs because could we have raised money? Sure, but I would have had to have lied to do so, and that's just not me. And so our strategy was let's go to sources of patient capital, which is the federal government. Uh, We actually, you know, our claim to fame was uh, a very large grant, I think four to five million dollar grant from the Department of Energy's RPE office. We, you know, doubled, tripled that amount with other grant funding from other agencies within DOE, uh, DOD, uh, NASA, etc. So yeah, we kind of owe our existence to, to grants and contracts from the federal government. So obviously we're here talking about uh, BMW and Ford, but this must have applications beyond that. Certainly. W- where else are you looking at? What other, I mean, what, other, it, what other you know, worlds do you see? Anything that moves. Okay. Right. <laughs> Any, anything that puts a premium on mass and volume of the battery. I mean, let's, you know, this emerging market of, of urban air mobility. Um, yeah, as, as I, with, with the yeah, and as I, as I, you know, as I look at some of those companies, oftentimes their business models don't close with the specific energy watt hours per kilogram, essentially the mass yeah. of today's lithium ion, which sort of makes sense. You know, they're constantly, you know, taking off and landing. They desperately need much higher energy batteries to to give meaningful range to their vehicles. Um, you know, consumer electronics potential, um, even looking at niche markets like defense and aerospace, just like, you know, our world, uh, you know, the, the, the military is electrifying itself, you know, everything from man portable devices, where some of these poor soldiers are carrying 30, 40, 50 pounds of batteries, um, you better believe they would like to reduce the mass and volume of those. So yeah, it's again. I jokingly say anything that moves. <laughs> okay, no, that makes sense. Uh, but let's go back to automotive because that's kind of my world. Sure. Um, so you know, do you see a future where solid state becomes the norm? Is that is that oh, where you we're heading? Believe it. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> yeah. I, I, there's got to be other companies, but you. Oh, certainly competing I mean, in the space, it, right? It, certainly, certainly. And yeah. to be honest, the uh, you know the the competitors that that we typically align ourselves with. Uh, are the big boys. These are these are other companies working in sulfide salt state. We already mentioned Toyota, um, Hyundai over in Korea, all the big cell manufacturers, Panasonic, uh, LG Energy Solutions, uh, Samsung. Um, those are, you know, CATL over in China. Yeah. Those are all I've, I've always be considered competitors. I've always wondered about that. How come, like, four companies own the battery world? <laughs> Why is that? Is it because they've got, they've got like, proprietary uh, chemistries? You know, because I know, I think uh, Tesla partnered with Panasonic, right? Correct. And Panasonic created, a, you know, I'm doing air quotes here, yeah, yeah, proprietary yeah. chemistry for their batteries. But basically, right. it's, it's the same battery that everybody right. else has. Right, right, so why right. are those four companies so dominant in this, in this world? Because they invested massively okay. when, it, when it counted. I mean, you know, it was Sony in the 90s who were the first ones to go and, and commercialize it. And then it was, you know, it was, it was really the Asians, as I like to say, the Koreans 
Koreans and then, of course, the Chinese over the last decade. Um, and they do. They, they own the market. And so this has really been the drum that I've been beating anytime I get an opportunity to talk with you know, federal government officials, which is um, if, if you, Mr. Federal Government, want to ensure that this nation has a role in energy storage, which I hope you do because it's, it's going to be huge. I mean, it has not only economic concerns, but national security concerns as we move to an electrified future. You've got to invest. And I don't know, you know, you can only invest so much in lithium ion because you just said it. That, that ship has sailed. And so, in my opinion, you've got to kind of look at what's next. What's going to leapfrog lithium-ion in its solid state? And the time to invest is now. If you do nothing, you know, solid power may still be wildly successful. It just may not be wildly successful here in the United States. And as a proud U.S. citizen, I'd love to see the United States have a major role in, in next-generation battery manufacturing. Now, I think I was reading your press release, and you said one of the cool things that you can do is you can actually retrofit or use current, uh, yeah, correct, current uh, factories, right? Mm-hmm. Like the Gigafactory to produce solid state batteries. Is, yep. that, is that true? That is absolutely true, and that that was by design. So yeah. our going in strategy for the company is we were going to focus on all solid state batteries with all the potential benefits I just listed. However, we only wanted to focus on uh, forms of solid state battery technology that could be produced in a manner that is virtually identical to lithium. And and the reason for that is very simple. We did not want to reinvent the wheel from a manufacturing standpoint. Uh, We felt that that would just majorly elevated our risk profile. And that's essentially what we've proven uh, over the last several years is that indeed, I mean, you can. So the way our batteries are produced is materials enter the the production facility in powder form, just like in lithium ion. Powders are then processed as a large batch slurry, just like in lithium ion. That slurry is then pumped to make coated layers uh, using a, a conventional slot die coater just like lithium-ion, goes through roll-to-roll densification on a calendaring system and then into an automated uh, stacking system. So again, the idea here is, yeah, we could step into existing gigafactories with some modest retooling, flip them over from lithium-ion to salt state. So give me a timeline, you know, ideally, yep. in your world. When, when will we actually see the first solid-state battery in an automotive use. Yeah. So what's exciting about our announcement this week is this really puts us on um, on a position to kick off formal automotive qualification this year. And so that that is our objective and that's it, to use industry jargon that's called, you know, initiating a sample validation phase. Um, if you just do the math on a kind of a typical A, B, C, and D sample, that would get us to a cell SOP start of production as soon as 2026, which could then support a vehicle start of production as soon as 2027. Again, don't want to claim in stone. We absolutely will we'll see a cell SOP in 2026. A couple of other things need to align, but that's the roadmap that we're headed towards. So what are the challenges you're facing? Well, I mean, we've got to continue to prove at larger and larger scale. So we're taking one step um, right now with the the EV uh, cell prototype line. Um, Eventually, we will need to literally step into gigafactories. For us, that would be in that transition from a B sample to a C sample stage, which assuming we execute on our roadmap, should be in the 2024 uh, timeframe. Right now, our gaze is really on supply chain. So it's about building up supply chain with some of the new materials that we are introducing into our supply chain. Uh, we do have to get those to much bigger scale to take advantage of economies of scale. And so that's a big part of where my focus is. is yeah, on. a lot of that stuff is already locked up with contracts, right? I mean, it's it's probably goes out 10 years. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, um, Ford, BMW, um, Tesla. I mean, you know, they have Battery Day every year. Or, mm-hmm. you know, I think I think Elon wants to own that world. So, do you see yourself working with them at all, or are they are they more of a competitor? 
No, I mean, look, I any any company that looks like a competitor, I can you know I I call them quote unquote frenemies. Okay, <laughs> they're both a competitor. Certainly, they may have cell designs that they like, um, and and you know we approach them with, hey, we have cell designs. Do you want those? If not, no harm, no foul. You also need to source material because long term, that's really our, our our business model, which is to be the really the industry leader in solid state battery materials. So, in theory, supplying into someone like a Tesla is, is is certainly a possibility. But I don't want to imply that you know we're in active negotiations or even discussions with them today. Fair enough. Where yeah. do you, where do you see um, the automotive world heading? You know, you you're probably at the forefront of electrification. How serious are the companies? You know, oh, yeah. you know. We're, we're right now. I think last time I checked, we were in America at four uh, percent of electric vehicles, and that doesn't include uh, only electric. That includes hybrids, plug-in hybrids, right? Yeah. All forms of electric. That's tiny, right? Uh, and then I was just in Europe last week, and I thought Europe was way ahead of us, but. I was in Germany and I saw very few electric cars, tons of chargers, yeah. but very few electric cars. I think, you know, I, I drove to a local King Supers and there were, I think, two Model S's, uh, two Model Y's, and a Fiat 500e, which were more cars at the King Supers than there were, like, on a typical day in Germany. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think you're going to see that change fairly rapidly. Let's, yeah. not, let's not also forget the lifetime of a typical vehicle is pretty extensive, a decade. Yeah. So, you know, you're going to have to let society end of life those. But, you know, I do get a little bit of, quote unquote, inside baseball look, you know, through, you know, partnerships with BMW. And then we get a little bit of exposure into, for example, what the German government's plans are and so on and so forth. So, no, I mean, I think vehicle electrification is coming. I, you know, I was going to say, did you go to Norway? I know. It's like, <laughs> Norway's like 50 percent. Yeah. 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 They're, they're huge. Yeah. Yeah. But you go have, over there and you, you see Tesla, you know, taxis. Yeah. Yeah, I actually, you know, it's funny. I saw uh, a Hyundai Ionic. Uh, no, it was an EV6. It was a Kia EV6 taxi yeah. running around Germany, which is okay. pretty cool. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, when I first started, I never saw an EV in, in Germany because I've been going to Germany for, for a number of years, and I've actually been been um, pretty impressed at, at, at how quickly the, it's at the growing yeah. numbers. And I think you're going to see a pretty significant acceleration. You know, you know it's an interesting fact I just read, uh, and I didn't know this. When the Model T first came out. Uh, there were very few gas stations because the, the, yep. the first thing people talk about when you talk about EVs is how do I charge it? It's I'm very like, analogous. I'm yeah. like, yeah, when yeah. Model T came out, there was no way to <laughs> fill it up with gas unless you were living on a farm, right. which a lot of people did. Probably plenty of places to get hay. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And yeah. so a lot of these arguments we're hearing, you know, seem very uh, exactly probably we we heard a hundred years ago. Yeah. So so like. Your personal goal would it be to actually get in a car that's powered by your batteries? Wouldn't absolutely. that be cool? Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. You, you just hit the nail on the head. That that is absolutely the goal. Huh. All right, all right. And uh, how has Colorado been in terms of you know uh, supporting the company? Is it good to do business here, or is it hard? It is. No, it is, and and, it, and it's also changing for the better. Yeah. I mean, when I first started off, it it was hard to get attention. Because we were Colorado-based. I mean, let's face it, we historically have been flyover country. That's changing. I mean, we were one of the first truly sort of, um, you know, EV battery companies here in Colorado. Uh, I've been pleasantly surprised to see that there are a lot of others. And, of course, the space, you know, you get into software and so on and so forth. So, you know, I, I, I also beat this drum a lot, which is this is a great opportunity for, for Colorado. Colorado's got a great ecosystem, you know, through the universities. Um, there's a lot of great science and technology coming out, um, relatively affluent state. There's 
pretty decent direct pool. flights to Detroit and Munich. direct flights every to <laughs> Munich. Uh, there's a decent pool of investment capital, um, and our profile is is raising. I, I think it's fair to say we are no longer flyover country. And and you know I've been in the saddle for a decade, so I it's been pretty exciting. I've been on the, the front row uh, seeing this. Yeah, so it must be exciting to actually see electric vehicles come out. Oh, it's awesome. Yeah. yeah I love yeah. it. I love it. Um, a couple of the questions that I want to go back to, the, like the three original points you made. So mm-hmm. you said uh, more energy, or I should say more energy, but more <coughs> energy per kilogram, right? Yep. Yeah. And liter per yeah. volume. Per yep. volume. Yep. Uh, uh, safer. Yep. Uh, and what was the third point? You, you had a High temperature one. stability. Oh, that's right. High yep. temperature stability. Right, right. So um, when you charge a typical electric car, right? You want to have the car pre-conditioned itself. You do. Before you plug it in. because Meaning the pack's warm. Right, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. so does that change with the solid-state battery as well? No, it doesn't. No? It doesn't. You'll, you know, the warmer is always better um, for any battery, except where it does change is that with lithium-ion, there's also a ceiling. You don't want to get too warm. That's why we said, you know, the, the Goldilocks effect. Of yeah. Warm enough, but not too warm. Um, the power of solid-state is that that... that you know, too warm threshold goes up rather dramatically. Really? Yeah. So how much what, what in Celsius or in Fahrenheit? Oh, geez. I mean, we test our cells pretty regularly today at yeah. 70 degrees Celsius. And actually, the upper temperature threshold limit is limited by that pouch material. Okay. Um, so if we get a, high te- a higher temperature pouch, we could more than likely push that. Because it's 115 today in Phoenix, so <laughs> I'm just I'm just curious. What, 115 I, F? Yeah, Fahrenheit. Yeah, yeah, not Celsius. Yeah, thank God. <laughs> We'd be cooking people, not yeah. Eggs. There's a reason I live in Colorado, and not Phoenix. <laughs> because one of the initial problems that the Leaf had, right, was that they didn't yeah. temperature control their batteries, and basically, they yeah, degre- they're they're passively cooled. Yeah, they degraded really quickly. Yeah, and that's that's tough. Yeah, yeah. I, I think they I think they had to pull the vehicles from yeah. the Phoenix market. Now, um, before I let you go, a couple other questions. Uh, in China, for instance, and actually that's happening here as well, or it's trying to happen, there's a company from Vietnam that's trying to do swappable batteries, right? Yeah. Where you bring the car in and then you swap it. Yeah. Uh, it's harder here because of the way people purchase cars. Yeah. Um, is that something you have given some thought to? You think that's a viable business? Oh, geez. I mean, that's a little bit above my pay grade, yeah. so to speak, because that's more of like a, you know, how does a consumer use a vehicle? That's right. the domain of the vehicle manufacturer. So, so, so what I can say is what I've observed yeah. is I've only seen. I'm not aware of the Vietnamese company, but I Vinfast. have. Ah, Vinfast. Okay, yeah. I am familiar with them. I didn't realize they were pursuing a, a, yeah, swappable, a, a swappable. I have seen other entities or in a China. leasable model too. That's it. I haven't seen it yeah. in any of the Western nations, and and I'll lump you know uh, Japan and South Korea in there. And, as well. and speaking of China, obviously there's a lot of comp- competition between yeah. the U.S. and China. Are they ahead of us? In terms of solid state batteries, <laughs> um, or, or who's who's the leader right now? Where 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 is the leadership coming from? Well, I mean, I, I'd or is, like, it, a, is I'd it a horse like, race? It is a horse race. Yeah. I think it's fair to say that it is a horse race. Um, I think. Uh, you know, right now, by and large, it's considered that that sulfide really is the the clear you know pathway just because of its combination of high performance and high manufacturability. Um, it's a it's a crowded space of who's who. I mean, CATL, Hyundai, LG, Samsung, um, you know, Panasonic, Toyota. So it's a it's a it's a it's a crowded space. Um, it's difficult for me to say you know who's who's in the lead. I mean, Toyota just in terms of time in the saddle. Is probably in the lead, um, but yet you continue to see yeah, slippage. They're, they're still using lead acid in a lot of their, in, in in Toyota, lot of their cars. Toyota yeah. has an interesting strategy. Yeah. I, I always call them. They're they're sort of the enigma in the in the automotive space because they'll say one thing over here and say entirely you know contradictory thing over yeah. there. Well, I mean, so I think it's a horse race, and and I'm really proud that Solid Powers really had us in that ring. 
yeah. that, in that horse race. Congratulations. Last Thank question. You. Are there any questions I should have asked I didn't? Is there anything else you want to talk about? Oh, geez. Uh, I don't think. Uh, well, I guess all I'd say is we're, we're expanding yep. here. So we currently, our headquarters are over in Louisville, Colorado. We are you a, hiring? Oh, geez. We're, yeah, we're hiring. Oh, we're hiring like crazy. I mean, oh, I would venture to say we probably have, you know, close to 50 open positions. Um, we will, that will continue to be the case for the foreseeable future. We have a second facility uh, that is under construction right now over in Thornton. Okay. Um, and that facility actually, once fully populated, will be even bigger than our, our HQ in, in, uh, in Louisville. So it's an exciting time. We're going pretty rapid. Um, we're trying to be mindful of that growth because obviously that presents certain challenges. And I think, I think right now we've got our hands around the problem pretty good, but right. it's, we're on a pretty st- steep trajectory. And if somebody wants to look you up or hire, get hired, where do they go? What's your website? Solidpowerbattery.com. Easy peasy. Lemon squeezy. Thank you very much. Thank Doug. you. I appreciate it. It was yep. fun. Thanks. Yeah. All right, Tommy. So that was an interesting episode, huh? We talked about, we had something for the uh, ice guys and gals and something for the uh, electrification people. Absolutely. Yeah, we had a lot of fun with this one. Um, so we'd love to get your feedback. So let us know what you think in the comment section below and where can they find all of our podcasts and YouTube channels and all of it in one spot. Of course, on all TFL. And um, if you guys are interested um, and you're more fans of the internal combustion engine, right now over at TFL Bids, we are selling our long, uh, long, long, long excursion. I was going to say long term, but it's not that long. We've only had it for like six months. So we did a series on TFL truck called Go Big and Nathan drove the excursion. We've got the V10, which is a lot of cylinders. Uh, So if you're interested, check out TFL bids. Uh, And, you know, right now it's still, I think, 4,000 last time I checked. Uh, We paid 8,000 for it. So we're still not at the reserve. But if you're interested in an excursion uh, when gas prices are super high, it's still a very unique and interesting vehicle that will hold you and seven of your best friends. All right, well, we'll see you in the next episode. See you next time. Ciao. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.